and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. This morning we look at Jude verses 17 through 19. Predictions against false teachers. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. A group of students at Harvard once tried to fool the famous professor of zoology, Agassiz. They took parts from a number of different bugs and with great skill, they attached them all together to make a creation of their own, which they trusted would baffle their zoologist professor. On the chosen day, they brought it to him and asked him to identify it. He inspected it with great care. The longer he took, the students grew more sure that they had tricked the genius. Finally, the professor straightened up and said, I've identified it. Scarcely able to control their amusement, they asked him, what is it? It's a humbug. A person with a genuine faith in Jesus Christ will detect all counterfeit humbug faiths that he encounters. But it may take some time of careful observation as the professor gave with his magnifying glass and microscope perhaps to look at the bogus bug We're sometimes going to have to look carefully and intently and prayerfully at people because their deception, their phoniness, may not be evident on first blush. The book of Jude is all about spotting humbugs, about detecting counterfeit Christians, about smelling rats, about not caving in to false doctrines. And we've said in previous sermons that one outline that you could approach the book of Jude with is your name, ready, steady, go. I've talked about using JD, our son's name, so it'd be JD, ready, steady, go. That was our game when he was a little boy, and he would just love to take off on the go. In Jude 1 to 4, we said that was the your name part of this book, and it was calling your name Sally, Rob, Bill, Harriet, heads up. Listen here. I'm talking to you. This applies. Hello. That's what verses 1 to 4 were basically saying. Verses 5 to 16 are the ready section. After God calls your name, Rob, ready, in Jude, ready is the section, verses 5 to 16, that says this is what a false teacher is like. This is what is coming to a false teacher. Beware of these people. They're wanted for false teaching. We move into verses 17 to 23. We move from Rob, ready, to the section we could call steady. Steady, these verses 17 to 23 will say, don't you be caused to learn any error or lies from a false teacher. Steady, smell a rat. Steady, be about God's business for you. Steady, don't cave in. Steady. In this passage, mockers is one of the less than complimentary names which God's word as recorded in Jude tags on false teachers. The book calls them mockers. If you look at verses 17 to 19, please, let's read these verses. But you, beloved... 
ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. They're called mockers, these false teachers. Verse 18, that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. When you look at verses 17 to 19, you see that the Christ's apostles, and I hope you remember an apostle is an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. When they were seeking to replace Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1, they had to look for someone who was a witness to Christ after resurrection. That is an apostle. So in that sense, it's a technical term. There are no apostles today. None of us were eyewitnesses on earth at the time of Jesus being bodily resurrected from the dead for those days after his resurrection and before his ascension. But the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ are referenced in this passage, and the teaching that they left us, verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, what were those words, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Six predictions in these verses 17 to 19 about false teachers that we need to hit on. The first prediction about a false teacher is that false teachers will in fact emerge in the last times. It's not if they happen to emerge, it is they will emerge. We are living in the last times. I do not know the date of Christ's return for the church. No one does. But I can watch the weather report. I can watch the spiritual weather report. I can see what's happening in Europe. I can see what's happening with anti-Semitism. I can see the avowed purpose of the nation to obliterate Israel off the map and drive them to extinction in the Mediterranean. I can see the coming economic collapse in Europe, perhaps in America. I don't know the date, but I can read the weather. We are in the last times, in my opinion. And the prediction is that false teachers will emerge in the last times. Verse 18a, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers. Secondly, the prediction is that false teachers will scoff. These false teachers will scoff, following after their own ungodly lusts. That's what these mockers will do. They will mock Jesus Christ. They will jeer and sneer at promises of Scripture. They will elevate their false teachings as if they have a corner on truth. The third prediction about false teachers is that they will follow their own ungodly lusts. In the first place, they are inevitable. In the second place, they will mock and scoff. And in the third place, they will be driven by their own ungodly desires. Their agendas in no way approximate the Lord's agenda. 
The Lord's agenda was salvation. The Lord's agenda was servitude. The Lord's agenda was doing his Father's will. The false teacher's agendas will no way, shape, or form resemble the agenda of heaven because their lusts and their desires will be ungodly. They will not only be inevitable, they will not only be scoffers, they will not only be ungodly in their lusts, but number four prediction, false teachers will attempt to divide true believers. How do wolves and coyotes get their prey? They hive off some of the livestock from the other herd, the sick one or the careless one or the young one or the injured one. Coyotes and wolves divide to conquer, and so do false teachers. Verse 19a. These are the ones who cause divisions. False teachers come into churches like this one that are sound in the faith, and they seek to cause divisions, maybe over doctrine or philosophy of ministry or money. They are about dividing to conquer. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now, today's ministry spotlight. My name is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I am the student pastor here at Calvary Bible Church, and I am so glad that you have tuned in this morning. Um, we want to just continue a little bit about our culture talk that I said last week we wanted to start. But as you know, an event happened in our island on January 19th, where we had a, a stabbing in the government high school. And this is just a challenge for our young people because I want us to recognize that in our culture today, we cannot expect the world to act like Christ. And that's what I'm going to bring uh, the scripture, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. And we all have heard this before. But I want us to look at this, and I, and I want us to understand how, before we look into different topics of our culture, I want us to understand how we as Christians need to saturate this earth. And we need to be the light that shines in this earth. We can't expect those who don't know Christ to be different. And this is what Matthew 5, 13 says. You are the salt of the earth. But the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We see that here Jesus is saying that he's telling the disciples, look, you are the salt of the earth. Salt, as we know, adds flavor. But in this sense, we want to look at salt to preserve the world. And we need to understand that as we look around us and we see all the corruption that we see going around us and we see the the darkness, and we see the evil that is going on, we need to recognize that Jesus is saying, look, you are the salt. You are to preserve this earth. You are to show Christ to this earth. You may be listening this morning, and, and, and you know, you may attend government high school, or you may be attending any other particular school. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know this can happen to another school. But I would challenge you in your schools that, for those who call yourselves Christian, that you need to understand you are the salt. You are to preserve the word of God. You are to preserve your relationship with Christ. You are to show Christ to those you come in contact with. Some of you remember um, in 1999 at Columbine High School, and thank the Lord this hasn't come here as yet, but who knows what will happen. But there was a young lady who was, you know, asked, do you know Jesus Christ? And the guy told her that, look, if you say you know Christ, I am going to kill you right here. I'm going to shoot you. And we saw her take a stand for her faith. 
And I know and I thank the Lord that this hasn't come here yet in the Bahamas, but who knows what can happen. This can come here very quickly. We're not sure. But we as believers, we need to understand that we need to take a stand for Christ. Jesus continues on the Sermon on the Mount in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is saying that we are light. We, like I said, we live in a dark world. And we need to recognize that living in a dark world, the first thing that people look for as any in a dark house is they look for light. And we as Christians, we as believers in Christ, we are to be different than the dark world. We are to be light, to shine bright. And I don't know if you have ever, you know, been out somewhere where there's no lights or you could think of even in our own country when the lights go out and you just look at the sky and you see how bright the stars are. God is saying, look, we are to be the light of the world. We are to shine bright. We are to show Christ to those we come in contact with. We are to show Christ. And he says this, what good is a light if we put something over it? And the, the sad thing for us sometimes as Christians, as young people, is we don't show Christ to those we come in contact with in our schools. People don't see Christ in us because we try to be as close to the world as we possibly can. We try to be what the culture tells us to be instead of being what Christ is telling us to be. And he's telling us to be a light that shines bright for him. And this isn't to say that to try to show that how good we are, but this is to give glory to God. This is to give glory to our Father who is heaven. This is our, who we represent. Again, some of you, you know, you go to different schools. I went to Kingsway Academy, so I identify with Kingsway Academy Saints. I don't know where you're school identification, but the reality is that's what this is saying, that we identify with Christ. This is who we identify with. We are on His team. And we need to be a good representation for Him. So I challenge you this morning as you are listening to this, as over the next couple of weeks, as we think of the culture and what culture has thrown at us, that we need to be a light that shines bright. As we think of what happened at GHS, we need to pray for our schools, pray for our government, pray for our teachers, pray for our students, pray that God will, will restore these schools and that God will restore this country because that is who we need to cry out to. We need to cry out to God because only He can change what is going on around us. So what I want to do right now, I just want to pray. And I want to pray for us as we go through the next couple of weeks, but I want us to pray for those who may involve in government high school and all of our schools but I also want to pray for our government officials and that we, we pray that God will be seen in what we do. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for how much you love us, that you would send your son to die for us. And Father, we just pray that you would just, um, Father, you would restore this country, that we'd be a country that cries out to you, that we would recognize that the only thing in life that matters is our relationship with you. And Father, I pray this morning that there's one that is listening to this and they don't know you as Savior, that they have no identification with you, that they will come in a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to, to be with our students, be with our teachers. Father, I pray that you would just bind them together, but not just bind them together so that they can um, 
be a good representation in the school. But Father, for those who know you as, as Lord and personal Savior, that they would be a light in their schools. And Father, they would be able to find hope in you. Because Father, we know that the world around us is going to crumble. But Father, we have a, a God who we can find our strength and hope in. And Father, I just pray that you would just continue to be with us as a country, that we would turn back to you. And Father, I just thank you and I praise you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be listening and you know what you say? I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can feel free or you may have another question. Feel free to call Pastor Nicholas here at Calvary Bible Church at 326-0800. This morning in the radio studio, I'm pleased to have my friend uh, Patrick Rutherford, who serves as the Regional Director of Precept Ministries for the Caribbean. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bahamas. <laughs> yes, we are just uh, going to talk a bit this morning about Bible study. I know that's near and dear to your heart. And um, what kind of Bible study results in the best results? Pastor Rob, I'm going to speak with a little bias. Um, but the best uh, way to get the results out of Bible study is to study inductively. What I mean when I say studying inductively is simply finding out what the text says, getting an understanding of what it means, and then taking those truths and applying them to your life. So observation, mm -hmm. interpretation, mm -hmm. and then application. Absolutely. And uh, what kind of results can a Bible student who takes that approach expect? A totally transformed life. Mm. Um, I'm living proof of it, Pastor Rob. But if I'm looking for the truth, whether I believe it or not, it is in God's Word. Yes. And I get invited to choose whether or not I'm going to live those truths out. The Word of God tells me to live with my wife in an understanding way. Yes. I get to live that out. The Word of God tells me to flee immorality. Yes. I get to live that out. Mm -hmm. um, the Word of God tells me how I can keep my way pure mm -hmm. by keeping it according to His Word. I get to live that out. And so um, the Word of God is foundational uh, in my life, as it should be in any believer's life, whether young believer or older believer, uh, as it relates to how they live each day. So you're saying that in your experience that the Bible is, we don't have to make it relevant, it already is relevant. Absolutely relevant, yes sir. Indeed, indeed. Excellent. Um, what would you say to a Christian listener today who is um, rather of the persuasion that he or she will never really be able to understand the Bible for themselves? They're right. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> well, the, the, the point being, uh, it's not meant for us to understand everything of God's Word. But God's given us His Spirit, and I see the Holy Spirit as an in-house tutor. An in-house tutor, that's an interesting thing. Tell us about that. Well, if I can just finish that thought, if I keep the Word of God closed, I won't ever get to know what it says. But when I open God's Word, um, my tutor says, Patrick, stop here. Let's consider this. Let's deal with this little issue here in, in, in your life. I'll give an example. Um, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, it's riddled with the word love. Uh, you, you, you can't miss it. It's, it's just glaringly there. The question for me is, will I love in a way that is prescribed by God's Word. Mm -hmm. um, there's no guesswork in there. Um, 
you either obey it or you, you don't obey it. I'll mention 1 Peter 3, 7 again with husbands uh, loving your wives. That is what the text tells me to do. Yes. And the more I interact with the Word of God, that in-house tutor shows me how to do just that. Mm -hmm. It may be when I get home, Pastor Rob, and I'm tired, but I see my wife fussing around in the kitchen instead of grumping off because I'm hungry and going to watch television. Spirit of God may say, Patrick, go in there and help. That's living with her in an understanding way. Beautiful. You see? So um, <clears throat> we would reject then the concept that you have to be an ordained pastor to ever understand the Bible. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, as far as the inductive method is concerned and what we do with precept is that is exactly what our heart is, to teach the everyday man, everyday woman, the benchwoman Joe and benchwoman Jane, that they can encounter God through his word by those simple tools of observation, interpretation, and application. What does it say? What does it say? And then after figuring out what it says or what it doesn't say, here's what it means, finding out what it means, and then having the audacity, the boldness to take what it says after understanding what it means and governing or ordering uh, uh, your life according to those truths you studied. How encouraging to yeah. think that the Bible is a revelation and not a concealment. It's not a puzzle. It's not a code Absolutely. to be snapped by the prose. Fantastic. Absolutely. Is there anything else uh, this morning, brother, you would like to say to uh, our listeners on this general topic of Bible study? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, one of the verses that, that get me up every day and put my clothes on and go out and meet people is Ezra 7.10. It says that Ezra set his heart to study God's Word, mm. to practice God's Word, and then to teach it to others mm. in that order. Mm. And so um, I challenge everyone with Ezra 710. I dare them. Um, study God's Word. Live out those truths that you've studied in God's Word. And then God gives you invitation, that invitation to share what you're living with someone else. And that's contagious. Yes, it's a contagious blessing, mm -hmm. and that's the tr uh, transformative power of God's Word that we started with in this little spot. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, listener, I hope you're encouraged. If you know Christ as Savior, you have the author of Scripture living inside of you full-time, and you can ask His help to observe the text, interpret the text, and then to apply the text in your life. God bless you as you seek to do that. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. I have a question from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 which reads, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The question is, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? 
The word believe, pistuo in Greek, is used 98 times in John's gospel alone, and essentially it means to trust. It never refers merely to intellectual agreement with a proposition. Belief involves a personal response of reliance upon and commitment to a truth. John uses several words as near synonyms to the word believe. Belief involves receiving Christ, John 1 verse 12, obeying Christ, John 3 verse 36, and abiding in Christ, John 15 verses 1 through 10, and 1 John chapter 4 verse 15. A 24-year-old Portland, Oregon resident demonstrated the biblical concept of belief when she placed her life in the hands of a high-wire artist, Philippe Petit. At the dedication of the new concert hall, Petit carried Anne Seward across a wire strung 80 feet above a Portland street. Afterward, Seward commented, quote, I think that one of the most beautiful things about the performance was that it took a lot of trust, absolute trust, end of quote. And that is what it means to believe in Jesus to trust him and his redemptive work to carry us safely to heaven. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.